Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. I hope everyone had a good April 20th, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, I sure did. Fun day, working around the house after my uh, work was over, recording uh, Talk Back Tuesday here on, look, yesterday, so Monday, the day I'm recording this, was Brent Seabrook's 35th birthday. We're going to get into that. It is also Talk Back Tuesday, like I said. If you want to get in touch at any time with the podcast, very, very easy to do. Leave a voicemail, 708-653-0572. Email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Twitter account is at LO underscore Blackhawks. My personal account at jayzawaski670. And the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. We're going to get to your Talk Back Tuesday questions, but the people at NBC Sports Chicago in honor of Brent Seabrook's 35th birthday yesterday, put together a list of his seven best NHL games. So I'm going to run through them really quickly. Number seven, April 20th, 2013. That was seven years ago. That was Brent Seabrook's 28th birthday. He scored two goals, the only two goals. The Blackhawks scored in a 3-2 shootout loss to the Coyotes. He is the last Blackhawks defenseman to score multiple goals in a game on his birthday, game number six, November 2nd, 2005, Brent Seabrook scored his first NHL goal to give the Blackhawks a 6-5 overtime win against the Blues in St. Louis. I was at that game. Seabrook is the only Blackhawks player to score his fifth career NHL goal in overtime since overtime was introduced in the NHL in 1983-84. Reintroduced, of course. Number five, Brent Seabrook had all four points against the Sharks in Chicago on October 7th, 2005. It was only the second game of his NHL career, a four-point night. Add number four, (laughs) January 14th, 2019, Brent Seabrook nets his 100th career NHL goal. In the second period of an 8-5 loss to the Devils in New Jersey, he became only the third defenseman in Blackhawks history to score 100 goals after Doug Wilson and Bob Murray. Since then, Duncan Keith has done the same thing. Number three, April 21st, 2015, Seabrook put the Blackhawks up three games to one in the first round of the NHL playoffs against the Predators by netting the puck one minute into the game's third overtime period. Seabrook is tied with Jeremy Roenick for second in Blackhawks history with three career playoff overtime goals behind only Patrick Kane, who has five. Number two, June 19th, 2013. Seabrook scored the overtime goal in game four of the 2013 Stanley Cup final in Boston. This game winner nodded the series at two, but the Blackhawks eventually took the title in six games and the number one goal scored in Brent Seabrook's career, potentially my favorite non-cup clinching goal in hockey history, May 29th, 2013, Brent Seabrook scored the overtime goal in Game 7 of the 2013 Western Conference Semifinals against the Detroit Red Wings. The Hawks were down three games to one at one point in the series and needed overtime of Game 7 to advance to the conference final. Brent Seabrook, the hero, that is the goal of the dynasty for me. There were so many incredible moments during the dynasty, but the symbolism that that Brent Seabrook goal represented of sort of slaying the dragon of Detroit. And I know they'd won a cup, 
You know, they won the Cup in 2010 before that, but they hadn't had to go through Detroit to do it. This time they did. They finally did it. And for longtime Hawks fans, I know that that moment was very, very special. To a lot of you, it was very, very special to me. I wrote about it for 670thescore.com after the game happened and said, of all the stories, that's the one I'm going to tell my grandkids. That's going to be the one that to me is so meaningful. I think part of it is having seen Brent Seabrook develop from day one as a Blackhawk until whatever happens next with him to see a guy go full circle with an organization the way Brent Seabrook did. It was a struggle for him early and it was a struggle for Duncan Keith early. And there were some questions whether or not they would pan out and they absolutely did. You know, with Kane and Taves, they were more sure things. Everyone knew they were going to be pretty good. You know, it was pretty much a guarantee that you were going to get guys picked three and one overall are going to be really damn good players. You're pretty much guaranteed that. Wasn't a guarantee with Seabrook. Definitely wasn't a a guarantee with Keith. So seeing those two guys develop into what they did was sort of more unexpected. And to me, it makes it a little more special. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got not as many questions as usual to get to, but look, we have reached the abyss of hockey conversation. Until the puck drops again at some point, or they cancel the season and free agency begins or whatever, it's going to be a drag. So I need your help. Send me these questions as the week goes on. Something pops in your head about the Hawks, send it off to me. Even if it's just the thought of yours and not necessarily a question, it could spin me off into some things, so I need your help. But I got a couple here to get to, and we definitely will. Email here from John on the subject of Brent Seabrook. He actually sent this last week after last week's Talk Back Tuesday. He said, in one of your recent podcasts, you agreed that Seabrook and Chelios, Chelios, I don't know, Chelios should have number seven retired. I don't disagree, although as much as Seabrook meant to the three cups and the leadership on the team, It's a little bit of a stretch when comparing to the other names up there. If Seabrook is up there, shouldn't Steve Larmer's 28 also be raised? Larmer had better individual stats and positioning on the Hawks' leaderboards, and I'd argue his leadership's intangibles were on par with Seabrook during his tenure. Thanks, John. Well, first of all, it's hard to compare stats of a top six forward, a top three forward, really, and a defenseman. And for all intents and purposes, Brent Seabrook was a stay-at-home defenseman. He was a very good one and had the ability to put some points on the board. We just went over a whole bunch of the huge games he had in his career, and all of those were offensive. But Brent Seabrook's a defensive defenseman. So the comparison to Larmer is not really – it's kind of apples and oranges. I agree that Steve Larmer's number should be retired. I think his best chance is if another 28 comes around and is great – just like they're going to do it with Chelios and Seabrook. I think that's probably his best hope. I don't know what the delay is. I don't understand the delay. I'll never understand the delay. I know it ended kind of ugly for him here, but he was playing with Mike Keenan. You know, it's like you've got a (laughs) a tough situation for everybody. So I think his number should be retired. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I will argue with you on the leadership thing Brent Seabrook for the tenure of the dynasty was the leader of the team and Jonathan Taves was too he was a lead by example guy 
He handled the, the stuff on the ice with the referees and all those things. Of course, I'm not trying to downplay Jonathan Taves' leadership, but Seabrook was the straw that stirred the drink. He still is. Read some of the stories that were written yesterday from people about Brent Seabrook and how much the team misses him. It's not just lip service. It's not. That guy means the world to the Blackhawks and the guys that played with him during the dynasty era. And look, he's got Kirby Doc living with him, right? He's taking young guys under his shoulder, under his wing now, still to this day. So don't underestimate Brent Seabrook's leadership. I know Steve Larmer was a great leader. There's no doubt about that. I'm not trying to take anything away from him there either. But I don't think it's fair to compare what Seabrook has done and what Larmer has done. Also, Larmer did not win a Stanley Cup here. So, you know, that neither did Dennis Savard. I know that. Neither did Chris Chelios. Uh, neither did Keith Magnuson. It goes on and on with the retired numbers. But I think that gives Seabrook. If, if you're flipping a coin between Seabrook and Larmer, I don't think there's any question that Seabrook gets in over Larmer. He was a Blackhawks product. He stayed a Blackhawk. He's probably going to retire a Blackhawk. Uh, and look, to me, the three Stanley Cups make it a no-brainer. Great question, John. Thank you so much for the feedback. Question here from Spike. He said, guys, I think the turning point for the Hawks in the 2009 offseason was picking up Marion Hossa. Pittsburgh did a similar thing, acquiring Phil Kessel. Worked out well for them. This is what the Hawks need. This is the question. The question is who? I'd love to see Taylor Hall, but that's wishful thinking. That is wishful thinking. And it's it's such a hard place to put your brain because, first of all, there's not really a Marion Hosa type available. Taylor Hall, sure. I, I mean, that's a former MVP. He's tremendous. I, I just don't see how you're going to be able to sign a guy like that on the team as they are assembled. Now, if you sign Tyler Hall, he's going to make, what, 10? I've said this before. It's hard for me to commit $30 million to three players. That, to me, is not a recipe for success. It's just not. But the comparison's good. Taylor Hall, 28 years old. He had 52 points in 65 games uh, with Arizona and before that the Devils. Um I just don't I just don't see a way they make that work. And if you do, that means a big money contract's going to have to go out, meaning probably Taves or Kane. And then how does that really help your team, right? I I I it's different. It's a different situation. There's too many big contracts on this team to bring in a guy like that. I'm not saying they shouldn't try to pursue a free agent, but I think one of the things that Sam Bowman has done very very well, and I think most would agree with this, he's done a really good job with the international scouting. He's done a really good job with that. He knows how to identify talent playing in Europe, playing amateur hockey, playing professional hockey overseas. He can find a guy. He can sign a guy. And those guys usually come a little bit cheaper when it's their first NHL deal. Panarin, Kubalik. No, you know Kubalik is not Taylor Hall or Artemi Panarin. That's a given. But it's not unreasonable to think that Stan Bowman could find another top six forward via international free agency the names I don't know I haven't started even looking that far ahead yet usually when I hear a rumor of a name I'll start doing some research on the player but it's hard to research like literally everybody in Russia um but that to me is the most reasonable and and realistic way for the Hawks to quickly acquire top end talent 
it's a race, and you've got to beat other teams to that signing. But I think Stan Bowman's done a really good job of that in the past. They've done a great job, uh, you know, identifying those kind of players. And keep in mind, they've got some young players too. Evan Barrett's going to be a player here. Who knows what he'll turn into when he gets to the NHL? We're going to talk to um, the uh, the Penn State broadcaster later this week to get a scouting report on Evan Barrett. Maybe we'll get one on Ian Mitchell as well. But they're going to have to fill this either via international free agency or in-house. And in-house, that's a little concerning. You know, there's not a ton of guys that you have a lot of faith in. I think Philip Kurashev is, is, you know, he's gotten some attention. I, th- I like Mackenzie Entwistle, but he's not really a top-end scorer. Evan Barrett's probably the most likely guy in the system right now to make that jump to be a solid scoring NHL player. And who knows what sort of free agents might be available as well this offseason. Got a question here via the Locked On Podcast Twitter. It's at LO underscore Blackhawks. It's from John. He says, I heard Elliot Friedman on last Thursday's episode of 31 Thoughts. He wrote this a couple weeks ago. Sorry, it took me this long to get to it, John. He said, he talked about the dysfunction here in Chicago during the cup years. I knew it existed, but he said it went beyond healthy to the point they couldn't enjoy the victories. I was just curious if you could please give me more insight into that. Thanks. Um, you know, it's funny. There all it seems like there's always rumors around uh really good teams. And Elliot Freeman's a guy I hugely respect. When he says something, I believe there's 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 uh fact to it. I believe there's truth to it. Uh for me, just from me being around people, talking to people, the big issue during the cup run was with Quenville and the whole thing with Barry Smith, where anytime the Hawks would have trouble, Barry Smith would come down from the front office and he would be an advisor on the power play and all these sort of things. And he was sort of, uh, you know, over the shoulder of Q all the time. And I know Quenville did not appreciate that. And that that's what led to some of the tension with him and Stan Bowman. Barry Smith is a Bowman guy. He is a Scotty Bowman guy. And remember, when Jeremy Cowton was brought in, Barry Smith was behind the bench at first with him for the same reason. Keep an eye on him. Is he handling things? Is he, you know, can he handle the day-to-day, you know, duties of an NHL head coach? That's what Barry Smith was there to keep an eye on. And I know coaches don't appreciate that. Jeremy Cowden maybe could look at that and say, yeah, you know, I'm jumping to the NHL pretty quick here and it'd be nice to have that sort of a veteran presence behind me. But Q did not like that. Joel Quenville did not like that at all. And that was a big part of the tension between him and Stan Bowman for many years. Now, I know there's been rumors about uh, infidelity and things like that. And for what it's worth, the people that I always trust that always tell me the truth, I've been told that those are untrue and that uh, they're all sort of a creation of blogs and things that existed at the time. And if you ever played the game of telephone, back in school where you, okay, one person whispers something in the ear of another and it comes around the room. By the time it's done, it's a totally different story. That's how a lot of those things came out. That's what I was told. I'm going with what I've been told. I'm not going to speculate on what anyone else has said, but I was told that those rumors about players and their wives were totally untrue. And if you don't believe that, um, take a look at who came 
to Duncan Keith's 1,000-game ceremony. He was out there with Brent Seabrook and Patrick Sharp. Those were the three guys honoring Duncan Keith at his 1,000th game. It's Talk Back Tuesday here on Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope everybody is staying safe and staying healthy and staying home and doing what they can to beat this effing virus that won't go away and is annoying everyone on the face of the earth. <sighs> we got to be patient. We got to do our thing. Hopefully you're doing that. I'm doing my best. It is difficult, but it's what we need to do uh, for the people we care about and people we don't care about, but people <laughs> people are important and need to be protected uh, voicemail 708-653-0572. Email is LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. I'm going to go back to the Twitter questions. This one comes from all your database on Twitter. He says, how much of you wanting Stan slash Cowleton gone is because of their performance versus you just wanting the fire Stan people to shut up already? <laughs> I appreciate the question. And uh, is it part of it a little bit? Just because I'm just tired of talking about it. And and there's clearly a faction of Chicago fans that will never, ever give Stan Bowman credit for anything. And that's been that it's been that way since the day he was hired. People felt that he was unfairly given the job because of who his father is. And yes, there's some validity to that. However, if you take that away and his name is Stan Smith and you look at his resume he was still perfectly qualified to be an NHL GM. Did he get the job because his name was Bowman? It certainly didn't hurt. Okay. Honestly. Sure. But if you're the Hawks and you're like, Hey, if we hire this guy, Scotty Bowman comes with him. Who would say no to that? Nobody. So hindsight's 2020. You won three Stanley cups with him as the official GM. And no, he doesn't get all the credit for that. Nor should he. Dale Talon gets credit. Mike Smith gets credit. The three GMs that influenced this Blackhawks dynasty are Mike Smith, Dale Talon, and Stan Bowman in no particular order. They all have blame. They all have uh, credit for doing good things. But part of me is, yes, a little bit kind of done with the conversation. But until they either get back to prominence, meaning win a playoff series or two or three, then this is not going to this story is not going to go away. Because when your organization touts one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal all the time, and the goal hasn't happened in years and years and years, what do you expect people to say? People are going to be frustrated. People are going to be wanting change, and they're right to that. You raised the bar by winning three Stanley Cups. You raised the bar. Look at the Chicago Cubs. Did you think in your wildest dreams that Joe Madden would win a World Series with the Cubs? And two years later, people wanted him fired? Could you imagine that? And it happened. I never in my wildest dreams imagined. I thought Joe Madden wins World Series. He is Cubs manager until he doesn't want to be anymore. And maybe that's part of what happened because he was tired of the criticism or just wanted to change or whatever. But Stan Bowman, is he's not safe from that. Great. What have you done for me lately? And until he does something for Hawks fans lately that leads to playoff wins, series wins, not just game wins, 
then people are, are right to be critical. I I don't know what what much how much more you can say about it. Really? Like I mean it's fair. It's fair. It's it's totally valid. I just don't think they're going to fire him. And I think if they do fire him, he's going to be replaced by someone in the house like Al McIsaac or Norm McIver, someone very like-minded, someone who operates the same way, and that maybe Stan Bowman is new Bob Holford only in the way that he's always with the organization. He'll he'll find a way. He'll if he is no longer the GM, he's going to get ele- elevated. That'd be my guess. He's going to be like John Paxson and just sort of always around. So that's just kind of how I feel about it. If I thought they were going to go and find the, the best and brightest GM available and bring him in, hell yeah. But I just don't I just don't see it. Do I think he should be fired? Yes, I do. I think they should try to find the best GM they can. But I have to qualify that thought with, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to hire internally, and it's going to be a big disappointment, and it's going to be more of the same. So I guess the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. So that's kind of where I'm at on it. And the same deal with Cowden for me. Fine. Give him a, if, if, if it doesn't work out next year, then they're both gone, right? Because how many more chances can you give these coaches? How many more? Just saying. That's how I feel about it. One thing I want to point out, by the way, uh, before we wrap things up, thank you all for all the great questions here on Locked On Blackhawks Talk Back Tuesday. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this recently. I want to make sure I do. Uh, over the last couple weeks, we've been doing those hot mic broadcasts, raising money for COVID-19 relief funds. Uh, thanks to the listeners of this show and the Madhouse podcast, we have raised uh, well over $1,000 for COVID-19 relief, uh, supporting the Anthony Rizzo Family Foundation, Chicago Blackhawks Charities, and uh, Fry the Coop's uh, Feed First Responders Initiative. This Saturday, the 25th, the nurses and doctors and people on the front lines at Christ Hospital are going to get $300 worth of food. Actually, it's going to be $600 worth of food because Fry the Coop matches our donation it was 280. I upped it to 300, and uh, so those first responders, those people working in the front lines, fighting this terrible virus, are going to have some of the best hot chicken in the world. And maybe they'll find that eating the insanity at Fry the Coop kills off any sort of virus you could possibly have. I don't know if I would survive myself if I did that. So uh, I really love hot food too, but their hot is too much for me. So. Anyway, thanks to Fry the Coop for partnering up, and uh, thanks for bringing them the food they deserve, and thanks to everybody. I know there's people listening to this podcast that work in the business, or they work in a grocery store, or they're a truck driver, or they're a train engineer, or they are one of the truly essential employees that is keeping this country going right now. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I when Every time I walk into a grocery store, I feel awful for the people at the register or you go to a restaurant and they're, you know, cause you think for every 10 people taking it seriously, there's one or two that aren't and they're putting those people at risk. So thank you so much. If you're a doctor or you're a cashier or you work the drive through at McDonald's, whatever it is, thank you for being at work 
Uh, thank you for doing what you do, and thank you for keeping us going during this really hard time. One thing I want to add, too, by the way, a lot of people during the shelter in place, during the quarantine, are looking to pick up a new skill. You may have noticed the music beds here on Lockdown Blackhawks and also on the Madhouse podcast. Those are done by Greg Henkin. Greg is a great guitar teacher. He's a good friend. If you're looking to pick up the guitar during this break, Greg is a small business. Check out the description of this podcast. Go visit gregsguitarlessons.com. He will hook you up. Tell him you heard about it on Lockdown Blackhawks or the Madhouse podcast. He's not going to hook you up with free lessons, but you're going to get great guitar lessons via Skype from an absolute pro. So go check out Greg Henkin at gregsguitarlessons.com. If you've been thinking about picking up the guitar for the first time or picking it up again, Greg is your man. We will talk to you again here on Lockdown Blackhawks on Thursday. You're going to learn a little bit about Evan Barrett and Ian Mitchell as the week wraps up. Be well, be safe, be healthy. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. And make sure now that you're done listening to this one, ask your smart speaker to listen to the latest episode of Lockdown NHL. Have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you on Thursday morning here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.